Welcome to the Epiphany Movement podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Drake Nelson and is a continuation of the series, Chain Breakers. Ones who he was leaving, he wanted to anyways, he wanted to leave his palace. And he was an older man by this time, so his bones ached and his joints would creak when he would walk, but he would get cold if he left his palace. And so, as he often would, he would, th- he would throw a drape on the back of his, of, his, of his back, and then he would walk. And he had to walk with a, with a cane, and he would probably go about 200 yards. This is what he normally would do. About 200 yards off, and it would take him 15, 20 minutes just because he was a real slow walker. And he would finally get there. And the place that he would get to is this beautiful meadow with grass as high as the waist and in the middle of a meadow sat a huge rock but the rock wasn't too big to sit on it was just barely over the grass and so he could see it he had a trail already mown down from where he had walked it so many times and so as he would normally do maybe like once or twice a week even this king walked on and sat on the rock and it was a pretty day much like today, and he opened his jacket pocket, and what he brought out actually was an old sheep skin that had been tanned, and with it he laid it on his lap as he sat on the rock, and he grabbed something equivalent to our pen, and he just began to write. And he wrote, and he wrote, and he wrote, and what he wrote went something similar to this. He said this, I prayed to the Lord, and He answered me. He freed me from all of my fears. Those who look to Him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow or shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord, He listened. He saved me from all my troubles, for the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord Yahweh is good. Oh, the joy of those who take refuge in Him. Fear the Lord, you His godly people. For those who fear Him will all have what they need. Even strong young Lions, sometimes they will go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord, they lack nothing. And he ends his little soliloquy by saying this, Come, my children, and listen to me. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. And today's message is on how do we fear the Lord. It is on this very same thing. How do we fear the Lord? And we've talked before about how to walk in the mundane and then how to walk in the majestic. And what we learned a couple of months ago when we had this sermon was that actually in our lives, we are supposed to walk in between the mundane and the majestic, meaning that, you know, we have to, I don't know, um, brush your teeth. Hopefully you brushed your teeth this morning, you know. You have to take the kids to school. You have to do your taxes. You have to do things. But as you do things, do them 
in a way, ordinary things, but in an extraordinary way so that people see Christ in you, the mundane, but also with the majestic. But this week, what we are specifically talking about is how do we walk from one Sunday to the next Sunday? How do we go from one Sunday morning to the next Sunday morning? Because guess what? There are like six days between Sunday to Sunday. And so we have to figure out how do we live in these six days? I mean, you got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And Saturday is the worst of all days if you're a Mississippi State fan. And then you got Sunday right after that. So how in the world do you live in between the Sunday and the Sunday? That's the question that we want to answer that, answer today. And the idea is this. When we think about worship, we typically, and I think maybe Matt, you would see this too, we typically think about worship is at one hour a week. And maybe two if you come on, on Wednesdays. And that's what we have our idea about worship. It's 11 to 12, right, Clayton? Is it a worship, 11 to 12? I mean, that's what you did. That's just you came in worship. Miss Melanie, you helped us all in our worship. Miss Amy, you helped lead us all in our worship. Isn't that what worship is? No. Because worship is not for an hour a week. Worship is in every hour. Worship is in every hour. And the writer of Hebrews is actually going to help us tell that. In Hebrews 13, verse 15, here's what he says. He says this, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of our praise to God. Some of your translations say the fruit of lips which praise God. So, Miss Amy, that's what we just did. Miss Melanie, that's what we just did. Clayton, that's what we just did. Anybody who sung, that's just what we did. We offered the fruit of our lips that praise God. So that's good. The Bible says you should sing. That's what we just did. But then guess what? It's not just an hour. He's about to say it's in every hour. Verse 16 says this. And do not forget to do good and to share with those in need. There, these are the sacrifices that please God. A.K.A. worship is not just in an hour per week, but worship surrounds every hour in every week. Now the old man was getting hot by about this time, and so he took his coat off and the blanket off of his back, and he sat there, and on his lap was still that old, old tan skin with what he had just written on it. And normally you would think he would roll it up and put it back in his coat pocket, but you actually couldn't do that because you would have to let the ink dry, and it didn't dry like how ink dries today. You know, you write it, and then if you're left-handed, you have the little smudge on the page, and that really is not good, but, I mean, it's going to dry pretty much right after that. But in those days, you would actually have to, to, to let the ink dry for a while. And so what he decides to do is he puts the little skin on top of the rock and lets it dry by the sun. And he just slides down to the bottom of the rock and has about 30 or 45 minutes to kill, and as he often does, he just begins to daydream. So he begins just to think about his young childhood and goes all the way back to many, many moons ago when he was just a little bitty kid. And his mentor was a guy by the name of Samuel. And Samuel would tell this little child, he would tell him about the days of old. 
Because after all, he was going to be a king. And so what he wanted to do is to tell this soon-to-be king, hey, this is our history. This is where we have come from. Because if you don't know the history, then perhaps you're bound to repeat it. And Samuel would teach this young child. And so he was reflecting about what he had used to have been taught. Now Samuel's mentor was a guy by the name of Eli. And Eli was a really old man, but all those years before, Eli sat on the very same rock that the king was now laying against. And Eli, a hundred or so years before, sat there. And it wasn't a pasture then. It was actually a town with a couple of houses and buildings. And Eli sat there, and he looked down a road. And as he looked down the road, the Israelites were going to battle. And I'm not talking about like this type of battle. Um, I'm, not, I'm talking about you would like take out your sword and you're about to go and hurt somebody. And so they were going out to the battle, but who were they fighting against? They were fighting against the Philistines. Ugh. And as the Israelites and Philistines would go into battle, the Israelites got spanked 49 to 9. I thought I'd throw that one in there. That was a state score, by the way, to Goliath, all right, or Alabama, whichever they prefer to be called by this time. So as they, you know, start to come, now all the Israelites are running away, and they decide to get something called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is where God would indwell. It was just a huge golden ark that had God's presence in it. And with the inside the ark was actually the Ten Commandments that Moses had written. And so what they do is they grab the ark and they go off to battle. Now God had not told them to get the ark of the covenant. They just wanted to get the ark of the covenant because they wanted to kick the Philistines right in um, the, but the Buhani. And so they're like, I'm coming after you. And so they get the Ark of the Covenant and they march off into war. And Eli is still sitting on the stone and never moves. He's just looking down the road. And it says in the Scripture that Eli feared for the Ark of the Covenant. And so they take the Ark of the Covenant out and 30,000 Israelites die. 30,000. And the Ark of the Covenant gets taken. But there was an Israelite up on the mountain. I guess he was a scout, and he was looking with his new Nikon binoculars. I got some Nikon binoculars the other day, and I really like them, so I suggest getting some. And he was looking down there, and he said, My goodness, people are being slaughtered everywhere. The Philistines have gotten the Ark of the Covenant. So he runs back to Eli, who is still sitting where? On the rock. And says, Eli, Eli, I have some bad news. Um, your two sons, I always want to call them Phineas and Ferb, but it's not Phineas and Ferb. It's Phineas and some other dude that I can't even pronounce, but, but we're going to just roll with Phineas and Ferb. He says, your sons, they are gone. They have died. And Eli is really old by this time. I mean, very old, so he can't hear. And he's like, what, 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 what are you saying? And he says, your sons, they have perished. And not only that, but the ark of the covenant has been taken and the Philistines have it, or Philistines have it. And you know when he said that, Eli fell off the rock. And I don't know if he had a heart attack or a stroke, but he fell off that rock, hit his head, and died right there. 
So Eli's gone. But it gets worse. Because the Philistines think, oh my goodness, we have the Ark of the Covenant. So they take, run off, and they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they put it in their temple. Their temple's called the Temple of Dagon. And as the Ark goes into the Temple of Dagon, it's right in the temple, right beside Dagon. But that night when everybody's partying, because they just beat the Israelites, Dagon falls over, and their hands were cut, and Dagon's hands was cut off. And, the, and so they prop it back up, and the next night it falls over again, but this time his head's cut off. And so they think, we got to get this Ark of the Covenant out of the temple of Dagon. So they take it to a city in, in, in the, in the uh, Philistines' land, and they take it to a city, and rats go everywhere. It is a rat. Yes, that, all right? It is a, a termite central, and all the rats are everywhere. And they're thinking, we got rats in our food. We can't even eat anymore. They're in our bedrooms, actually, as one of them said. We got to get this ark out of here. Now, I hate, I mean, I saw a flying squirrel the other day. I really did. A flying squirrel. It's disgusting. I mean, it's not good. I mean, I did not like that. Could you imagine a... I'm not talking about a Mickey Mouse, you know. Oh, that's cute, right? That's Disney World. We're fine with that. I'm talking about a rat. Like, I don't know how long it... I mean, I looked at pictures, and they were huge. Have y'all ever seen a rat? There's a difference between a rat and a mouse. I mean, a mouse is like... I mean, um, like a rat's bigger than that bird right there. They were running everywhere. And so they say, we got to get the ark out of here. And so they do. They move it to another town. And now everybody there, they begin to get tumors. Cancerous tumors are everywhere in this city. And the Philistines fear God so much, they said, we took him in the temple of God, Dagon, we took the Ark of the Covenant, and now rats are running everywhere, so we moved it to another city. Now we have everybody, thousands of people getting cancerous tumors. Now what are we going to do? And they have such a fear of God that they say, we have to send the Ark of the Covenant off. And I know people, and you know people, who do not call themselves a Christian. They don't call themselves believing in Christ. They don't call themselves even following God, but they have a greater fear of God they don't even follow Jesus, but they outweigh my fear of God, and it convicts me. So these Philistines, they had a great fear of God, but they didn't know what to do with it. Instead of having that fear culminate in a relationship, they say, you know what, we're about to get as far away from this dude as possible. And so what do they do? They make a cart, and they put the Ark of the Covenant in the Ark. And then they get gold tumors and put it all around the Ark of the Covenant and gold rats and put them all around the Ark of the Covenant. And the cart is not attached to anything. It's not like somebody's pulling the cart, Miss Melanie. It's just a cart. And they say, okay. And the Scripture says that the cart just took off down the road with nothing pulling it. Just gone. And where does it go? It goes to an Israelite city. And it shows up to the Israelite city. Now the older men, they're out there just sweating and working and they had just gotten you know, off of work and they turn back after their water break and look back down the road where this 
cart is coming, and they're thinking, what's going on? This cart's coming down the road. And as the cart comes down the road, they run out there and think, this is a trick, and discover what? They discover this thing has the Ark of the Covenant on here. And they all look in, and it was 70 grown men come out and surround this Ark of the Covenant. And they say, well, we got to make sure they didn't steal the what? What's in the middle of the Ark of the Covenant? I told you earlier, do you remember? we got to make sure they didn't steal the Ten Commandments. And so they open it, they look in there, and guess what happens to all 70 of the men who look into the Ark of the Covenant? They're dead. They die. And so now fear spreads even more. And where they were was this place called Beth Shemesh. Beth Shemesh. And so now Beth Shemesh is freaking out. They're like, we got to get the ark away from here. So they send it down the road to Karith Jarim, and they send it to Abinadab's house. And Abinadab welcomes the ark. They say, yes, back in Israelite territory, bring it here. And he takes the ark of the covenant there. And there it stays. There it stays. And now this young kid, now this young kid who Samuel was telling the story to, has now grown up to become a king, and years have passed. And Samuel has long since passed, and now this king says, well, what should I do with my empire now? I've conquered everyone. What should I do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to Kareth Jerim at Abinadab's house, and I'm going to reclaim the Ark of the Covenant. So he gets everybody to come with him, and the king and all of his counselors go and get the Ark of the Covenant. But this bad thing happens because they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. We're in 2 Samuel now instead of 1st. We've moved about a chapter and or a book, and they've literally carrying the Ark of the Covenant with them, and it's still on the cart. But the cart hits a rock. And what else did the Ark of the Covenant have around? It had gold, what? Rats and tumors. And it hits a rock weighing a lot. And when it does, the Ark of the Covenant tips over. But this guy named Uzzah, which I think is a really cool name if you're trying to have a baby. I mean, that's possibly a cool Uzzah, you know. I mean, what's up, Uzzah? Uh, I don't know. And so he grabs the Ark from falling and secures it. And then he does his happy dance. And then God kills him. That's savage, isn't it? Isn't like, what? And God said, yes, exactly, woo-wee, that's what I thought the first time that I read that. And God says, woo-wee, don't touch my ark, man. And so Uzzah, he's done. Now this king says, looks up to God and says, God, I don't understand, you killed 70 people in Beth Shemesh, now you have killed Uzzah, we're just trying to protect the ark here. And so he says, who can hold the ark? Who can hold the ark? And so what they do is they take the ark to the closest house, which was a guy by the name of Obed-Edom, and they take it to Obed-Edom's house, and they drop the ark off there. And so now the ark stays at Obed-Edom's house, and the king and his counselors go back up to Jerusalem. But Obed-Edom starts to prosper, and it's not an ark problem, it's a heart problem. And Obed-Edom has a fear of God, so he says, you know what, I'm going to live my life this way, and he, God blesses him. And the king gets news back that God is blesses, uh, is blessing Obed-Edom. So he calls up his men and says, we are going to get the ark. But he has a question. And the question then is, how do I get this ark? 
How do I get this ark from Obed-Edom's house all the way to Jerusalem? Do you know how far that was? It was 11.5. I used to think it was 17, and I, I think I've told y'all 17. I've told the story, I think, once before. It's not 17 miles. I thought it was, but it's actually 11.5 miles, which is still significant. Um, that's about here. Uh, what would you say, 11.5? Maybe to Yazoo City, would you think that's about right? No, no, I, I, don't, I really don't know. I'm not good with, like, distances or anything. Um, I missed a deer the other day. It was 26 yards. I thought it was 40. So that gives you any, okay. 11.5 miles from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem. And so the king says, how are we, got, how are we about to do this and all not die? Because I don't want to die. I don't want my mighty men to die. I don't want you to die. What are we going to do? So here's what they came up with a plan. They said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go get that cart, and we're going to take the cart off. It actually is supposed to be carried on poles. So they made these poles, and they put the Ark of the Covenant on the poles, and they all carry the poles. And they walked one, two, three, four, five, six steps. And when they walk six steps, what they do is they put the Ark down, they build an altar, and they worship God. They walk six more steps. And then they build an altar, and they worship God. And they pick the ark back up, and they walk six more steps. They build an altar and worship God. And they do this for all 11 and a half miles. And when they finally got into Jerusalem and nobody died, they threw an absolute party. The choirs was there. It was amazing. And at the end of it, they looked back down the road from which they had just walked 11 and a half miles. And every 18 feet or six steps or six yards or about eight meters at the whole rest of the way, you saw an altar that was built here and 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 built here. So the question now is how do we live from Sunday to Sunday? Sunday. And the answer is build an altar. And I'm speaking metaphorically now because we don't actually build an altar, but the the, the, the principle is still the same from Sunday to Sunday. Do something that makes you say, hey, look, I'm building you an altar, God, and I'm going to worship you. God, I'm going to build you an altar of praise. I'm going to build you an altar of my Bible study. I'm going to build you an altar of my sacrifice. I'm going to share my faith with somebody. I'm going to grow from Sunday to Sunday. Every six steps. Maybe it's every lunch break. Maybe it's every two hours. I don't know when it is, but when God pricks your heart to say, stop what you're doing and say, God, I'm going to worship you. So the question then becomes, look back at your week. Look back at your week and look at your altars. Do you have any? Can you see where God has grown you this week? And if you can't, then I have to ask a serious question, and that is, do you fear God? Do you fear God? Because if we do, every single week from Sunday to Sunday, we will be building an altar of our praise, and we will be growing in our relationship with God. See, people love conviction. People love to feel convicted, I think, because it gives us a challenge that we can aspire towards and look for, towards. Like this week, oh man, Drake spoke on finances. I'm tired the next Sunday, boy. I mean, I'm telling you, you know. And then the Sunday before that was called the harvest and the headache. Do you remember the harvest and the headache? God, Drake talked about how to deal with the difficult people in our lives, and I got plenty of them. I'm going to work on that this week. 
And it's cool to feel convicted, but only when it's comfortable. But what is when it, what, what about when it's not, what about when it's uncomfortable conviction? Well, what then? Well, then we just want to sweep it on the rug and not deal with it. But God is here today, and I think what he's trying to say is, hello, don't just obey me when it's comfortable conviction. Obey me when it's uncomfortable conviction. Obey me because you fear me. And build an altar of your sacrifice, of your praise, of your worship. And on Saturday night, when you look back across your week, you'll be able to see an altar being built, and an altar being built, and an altar being built, and an altar being built. And I think we have to get our, our fear of God where it should be. I think we have to get our fear of God where it should be. And here's what he said after he got through. I, thank you so much, Miss Lisa, for reading. Thank you so much because I put her on the spot. And I put you on the spot too, Clayton. I'm just terrible at that. I'm so sorry. And it says this. After David got back from the six steps he had gotten, because I'm talking, do you know who the king sitting on the rock is, by the way? Is David. And when David got back, here's what he said. He wrote Psalm 24, to which you read, and he says, Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those who hands and their hearts are pure, who do not worship idols, and who never tell lies, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. And so my question, and God's question, is do you fear him. And if not, how do you get that fear? And it's by looking a little deeper and understanding that God is holy. Because Isaiah 6 says this. It says that there were these seraphim, each having six wings. With two they covered their, their, their face, and with two they covered their feet. With two they covered, the, with two they flew. And here's what they were calling out. They were calling holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook. And so here's what I'm saying to us today. Is that there must be a time when we get on our knees. And when we say, God, you are holy. You are different. You are different. God, we love you. And we thank you, God. You alone are holy. Holy, you are set apart, and in that, it will do something in us to which it sets us up having the right fear of God. So how do we make it from Sunday to Sunday? It is by fearing God, setting up altars all along the way. Have you set up any? Have you grew this week? I know you have, but let's continue to grow in where we are, and that is how we fear God. Why? Because He is so holy he is so other and he's worthy of all of our praise is that am i speaking truth right there i think i am and i hope i am as well well thank y'all so much for coming clayton if you want to come and lead us in up with some with some songs i'm super excited about where we're going to end and let's pray and um and then we'll we'll continue on our worship god thank you for everything that you've given us god we thank you that worship isn't just an hour a day but God, we thank you that worship is in every hour. 
that worship is in every hour. And God, we thank you that when that, when that old man with his staff and his rod finally got up and got the ink-covered paper and rolled it up and put it back in his pocket because it finally had time to dry. As he walked from the meadow and the rock back to his palace, he went to find a young man, a young man that was his son by the name of Solomon. And he knelt down and asked Solomon, Hey, son, hey, hey, let me ask you this. Let me teach you this. And Solomon said, okay, what? And I thank you, God, that David looked at his son and said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he asked, do you understand this, Solomon? Do you understand this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? And Solomon nodded, and David gave him a kiss, and off he went, and David went to sit right back, the old king on his throne. And Solomon would grow up and become twice as good of a king twice as wise, perhaps, many times over wealthy. The kingdom would grow, but God, what we pray is that you would do something in us to help us understand how to fear you correctly. I I pray that you would do that right now, that we would have a fear of you, God, because you are holy, 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 holy. In your name I pray. Amen.